Welcome to Quilting on the Side, the podcast where we uncover the secrets to turning your passion for quilting into a profitable side hustle. I'm Tori from the Quilt Patch by Tori. And I'm Andy from True Blue Quilts. And together, we're your co-hosts on this exciting journey of creativity, entrepreneurship, and all things quilting. We're here to help you navigate the world of quilt pattern design, course creation, digital marketing, and running an online quilt business. We've been through the ups and downs ourselves, so we know what it takes to make money from your favorite hobby. That's right, Tori. We're going to share our experiences on how we've grown our businesses while balancing family with other paying work responsibilities. It's not always easy, but it's definitely possible. I'm so excited to have Brandy Nelson with us for our episode today. I can't wait to hear all about her quilting journey and her long arm business. I met Brandy first at a local quilt shop, so she has that experience to share as well. So let's dive right into it. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Tori. Tell us a little bit about how you got started quilting. It was reluctantly. I, back in 2004 as a newlywed, was sent to uh, Germany with my army officer husband, and I made a good friend there who was a quilter, and I was a cross-stitcher, and she kept bugging me, I need to teach you how to quilt, and I'm like, no, that's an old lady sport, and she used to tease me that she could trace the last day she cross-stitched to the day she learned how to quilt, and I would laugh at her, and we just went our own ways, but I finished a long multi-year cross-stitch project and then wanted to put it into some kind of a wall hanging. And that's when she roped me in and taught me how to quilt. And she was almost entirely right. I don't really do a lot of cross-stitch anymore, mostly on Sundays at church to keep my mind active. But I started piecing at that point. And when we, my husband retired in 2016 and we moved here to Arizona in 2018 and I was piecing actively, but still very much a novice at that point. But I had met Ruth Butler, who became my long armor. And after about a year of working with her, she said, hey, would you be interested in making t-shirt quilts for people by commission? Because there was a huge market for that here. And I hadn't made a t-shirt quilt at that point, but I said, sure, I'll learn how. And through her referrals, I started doing that as a business. And then I don't know how many months later, maybe it was a year later, she came and said, would you be interested in learning how to long arm? And I was shocked because that was an adult activity in in my mind that was something people had been doing it their whole lives and expensive equipment and so when she offered to bring me in as an apprentice it was under the understanding that she'd be retiring in a few years and she there's plenty of business out here in sun city arizona lots of quilters out here and so there was a good market for it and so I apprenticed with her for about a year and then last September, so it was a year ago in September, I went full professional with it and it's taken off so much faster than I expected. It's been amazing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So currently, are you mostly long arming? Yes. 
I still do some custom work for a little while. I was even just making quilts. I had a couple of customers who were losing their eyesight and, but their family members still wanted handmade quilts. And so they'd bring me the fabric and the pattern and I'd make it for them. And then I'd long arm it and bind it and give it back to them. And it was a very slow process compared to just straight up long arming, but there was a lot of satisfaction. It allowed me to get paid for my hobby, which was cool. That's rare. <laughs> yeah, that always seems to be the tipping point for people when they are looking for a, a way to just fund the expenses of buying fabric and making right. the quilt. <laughs> right. And that's how I found myself working at the quilt shop. Again, that was Ruth who said, you should come work at the quilt shop and it would be a good uh, pipeline. And so when I interviewed there, and that was back in summer of 2020, that's what I said was, I, I'm hoping that this place will become a pipeline for my business. And they were really supportive of that. And, and it really was the level of referrals that I got and the exposure I got to the industry and the continuing education and that was all super beneficial. As of November of this year, I had to discontinue working there because the long arming business had gotten to the point where I just didn't have the time between life responsibilities and that. Excuse me. Do you think it was uh, mutually beneficial? For the shop owner as well? Or the shop and it was really hard to talk to the owner about saying goodbye. And Andy knows the owner there. She's a hard person to say no to anyway, because she's just very charming. <laughs> so when I went into her and talked to her, it was really from the position that, that my life had gotten unmanageable with all how my business had grown, and I really needed to reprioritize. And her words to me were... I think it's in both of our best interest if you maintain a presence here in the store. And so my cards are still there and I still get referrals and I still meet my customers there. And it's all been, I, I count myself very fortunate to have that kind of a good relationship. Doesn't always happen that way. I'm really thankful. Yeah, I love the vibe at the store that Brandy and I both frequent. The staff is really friendly and the whole atmosphere, it's just a, a really fun place to be, which is why I'm there so often. It is. <laughs> it sounds it a is. lot like the, the store I had in, oh, I'm sorry. I also lived in Arizona at the same time that you did. I moved there in uh, 2019, I think it was. Yeah, 2019. And I got to be uh, really good friends with the owner of our local quilt shop in Arizona. So I was like, woo, quilt shops in Arizona. are doing it good. I want to focus a little bit, Brandy. You mentioned that you learned long arming as an apprenticeship. Was that a formal relationship? Did you have a, a plan spelled out with your mentor, Ruth? No, it when she proposed it and said, I'm going to be retiring in the next four to five years, I thought, I, I immediately went to the medieval blacksmith apprentice, right? The young kid who goes to work for the artisan and 
after they learn the techniques and the skills, then they spend their time perfecting those skills by basically doing the work for the artisan. And it can be many years before they're able to branch off on their own. So I had this vision of, I'm just going to work with Ruth for the next four or five years till she decides to retire. And then I'll just become a professional at that point. And it wasn't even a full year later when she came and said, it's time for you to put your business cards out. So it was a shock to me. It felt really quick. And I didn't expect there to be any real business for me at that point. It felt really fast, but that was the exact opposite of what happened. I started tracking my income on a spreadsheet for IRS purposes, but September was when I started long arming. And so I had, as I tracked this first full year, I was looking at what point in the year did I match my total for last year? And at what point did I double it? And I had a goal of passing four times. Um, and, and I met that goal in September. And then, and then I had a goal for the September through December time period. Here's how much I earned last year in long arming. So my goal this year was to do two and a half times that. And I met that goal in the second week of September for a four month period last month happened in just two weeks and or last year I'm sorry so tracking it has I didn't expect it to grow as quickly as it did and I'm really I I just yeah I'm still surprised every time I get a new text saying oh I've got a new quilt for you I'm like really cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's really uh encouraging to hear you say that you tracked your numbers so you know you have the data to back up your decisions and to know when it's time that you can make money at that because you have kept good records. Yeah, so it wasn't like a written contract with Ruth. It was just, in fact, my primary career fresh out of school was in the salon. I cut hair for a living for many years. And so... Ruth and I, so I would cut Ruth's hair and we would do trade outs for quilting in that. And it was in the middle of a haircut one day that she made the proposal and she said, let's go to lunch. And we talked about it. And it was when I'm ready to fully retire, I'm going to be leaving the state and I'm going to want to sell my equipment, my studio. And would you be interested in taking all of that on? And it felt like she was handling my dream on a silver platter. That's a really rare opportunity. And of course, knowing the quality of equipment that she works with and the quality of care she uses and has taught me, has made me not uh, hesitant at all to take on the equipment. It wasn't formal, but we talk about it all the time. And if things change between now and then, that doesn't matter because I can see my business snowballing and I'm banking everything right now. And I have plans to take a wall out in one of my bedrooms and extend it out large enough to put a studio in. Mm -hmm. And I want to pay cash for that. And I will have the cash to do that by the time she fully retires. So. Nice. That's great to have such a tangible goal. You can see the room that you want to expand into. That's awesome. Can I ask a little bit about your machine? So I rent my studio time from her. It's, it's, it's like the best scenario because I didn't have to go through a huge out-of-pocket expense 
I pay her 10% of what I charge and uh, I keep really rigid records and I give her full uh, spreadsheet and she's like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, but I do, you know, I have to keep track of it for me and for you. And so I work on a Gamel Statler and it's fully, you know, it's, I buy patterns and put them into the software and, but she's got a huge database and it's looking at industry averages for what people charge for long arming we are definitely on the low side and that's by design because there's two models for making money in pretty much any kind of a service or sales business and one of them is profit margin and the other is volume and we operate off of volume so having a lower cost per square inch means more people can afford to, to come to me and I'm busy and I'm getting tons and tons of experience and I like it. So. Yeah. I'm glad you explained those two business models. That'll be really helpful for other quilters who are thinking about getting into the business of yeah. quilting, whether it's yeah, with you, long you arms or patterns. Your- uh, compare some place like Whole Foods to Walmart. You're going to pay a lot more for a bottle of vitamins at Whole Foods, and they're going to sell 10 bottles for $50. And at Walmart, you'll pay $5 for it, and they'll sell 20. They're still making the same amount of money, but one's selling more. And for me, and especially in a word of mouth business like this, volume is definitely key. Do you do any? advertising do you have an online presence or has this all grown organically through the quilt shop it's grown organically i've put some i've employed some marketing techniques based on my experience many years ago working in salon where again it's a word of mouth and you're out there hustling to get people to talk to you and to gain confidence in your ability so i at the end of last year i went to for imprint and I had bags made. I don't know if you can see that. Those are great. So it's a large bag, it's 16 by 24. It's big enough to put a quilt in. Every customer with their first new quilt gets a bag when I return it to them. I've had a lot ask me, oh, here, do you want your bag back? No, that's yours to keep. When you're ready to do another one, bring it back. And my bag's out there, my name, my contact information is out there just recently because I was starting to get more referrals from people. Oh, so-and-so you did work for them and I really liked it. So I've started offering a 10% discount to my customers on their next project for every person that they send me who employs me to do a job for them. And that's actually working out really well. It it took off pretty fast. I've got some people that are very aggressive about referring people. (laughs) And then I did at the quilt shop, I did, they have a monthly free class called So Smart for the community. And I did a presentation on preparing a quilt for the long arm. Some tips and tricks that not everybody knows how to, how to finish a border to square your quilts or what to do when you have a piano keyboard or to make sure it loads up nice and clean. And um, so that's maybe a 20 minute presentation. And then I just was 
asked to do that again for uh, Happy Trails um, in February. They're doing a quilt and craft show. So um, I'll be doing that and I'll be offering a discount to any new customers who come for the first time. You know, I'm okay. I don't like discounting my services in general, but I think it's a, a small token is okay to do for a first time as a marketing strategy to get people in your door. Yeah. And that referral bonus for people is a nice strategy to, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Cause there's some, especially in the online space, there's some shops that just things are always on sale and it makes you wonder what the original price was, or if they're you trying to set a high price and then discount it Yes. Fake so that it looks like you're getting a deal, but so lots of. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of discounting your service in a service-based business, but there are some strategies that can be used in, in the salon business. My hair grows back. There's not a whole lot of risk involved in someone bringing, coming to you new versus in a quilting industry where you're talking about heirlooms and you're talking about money invested in the materials themselves and time and there's often some level of emotional connection to the project and so it it takes a little more faith from an individual to hand this project off to a stranger even if they've seen their work it's still it's a little the first time is always the hardest but it only takes once once you have one <laughs> successful quilt done for someone, then you've got a customer for life. <laughs> so true. Let me deal with the cat jumping on my lap and then oh, I can ask. I have a black cat too. <laughs> her name is Lucky. Yeah, we got, got to have our furry friends. So have you done any quilt business education recently or are you relying on your prior experience since you've mentioned having a salon and that's fairly entrepreneurial <laughs> industry yeah. itself. Yeah, I haven't. This was, this was not expected to turn a hobby into a profession. And so I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a spouse who takes care of the household expenses. I don't have to share a revenue stream. So the investments that I've been able to make in my business in buying quality equipment and the rolls of batting, which are <laughs> the, the, there's just, there's money and it stacks up, but it's not been, it's not like I've had to worry about, can I afford to go grocery shopping based on these investments? And since going professional, it's, it's all of those expenses come out of my revenue rather than the household revenue. The only education that I've been doing, and I have to say, this is you, you, one of your one of your questions: well, who's who inspires you right now? And I, I had to think about that. And and uh, we had a new instructor at Sun Valley. Her name is Ramona Baird. And she is a digitizing 
genius uh, for machine embroidery. And what I'm learning from her about the software side of things and how to get in and tweak your designs are tools that I can then take into the quilt studio, into the software. And, oh, I can, I'm less afraid of all the little buttons on the screen. I'm less intimidated by them because that was probably the best thing that she taught me, which is, have you worked with Microsoft Word or Excel or what's your favorite office suite software? And then showing me how you already know how to do this. It just has a different button or a different name but you already know how to do this. And that was revolutionary for me. And it's lifted a lot of the intimidation factor away from the software side of things. Because I, Andy, you're definitely the mistress of free motion. And I love the predictability and consistency of edge-to-edge computer-driven. I like to see what it's going to look like and know that it's going to be all consistent and balanced. And so... Being able to play with the software has been a lot of fun. I wish I had more time and I will have more time when I own my own equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's always with anything. And especially with Tori and I, since we're still fully employed in an outside business unrelated to quilting. So we can relate to that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your initial customer interactions, that kind of intake process that you do? What you mentioned having roles of batting. So you provide the batting and how is that factored into your price structure and things? Yes. And I'm really grateful to Ruth for giving me this framework to work within because my price structure is exactly in line with hers and that's by design so that there's no competition going on. The, what was your question? We were talking about customer intake. Oh, the hardest part for me in the beginning was when people would ask me how long I'd been quilting. (laughs) And it was like back when I first started cutting hair, how long have you been cutting hair? And I was really snarky, legally or illegally, because I started when I was 12. (laughs) And same thing, people ask me, how long have you been quilting? I think my mom taught me how to sew when I was eight. I've only been long arming for about a year and a half, but I don't want to tell people that. I don't want them to question my ability because I haven't been doing it for 20 years. And there's that perception in some people's minds. So I try not to answer. That's like the hardest part about the intake in the beginning is answering those questions and coming across as confident when you are, but you're still new to this too. Um, I have a, a binder and I developed my little elevator speech. That's a smart thing to do your 30-second spiel. I tell people, I work on a Gamel Statler and I charge this much and I have a two to three week turnaround time and my prices are purely mathematical. So if you know the dimensions of your quilt, you'll know exactly how much it will cost for the quilting with batting, with binding, with all three together. There's no guesswork and and the prices aren't going to change for any reason, unless you want a particularly dense pattern and it takes me three times as much thread and twice as long to do, then there's an adjustment to the price for that. But for the most part, it's all very direct and straightforward and people like that. 
they like that the predictability, the ability to plan for what this is going to cost. Yeah, for sure. How do you deal with the thread? Do you, is that kind of a built-in cost? Do you track the number of bobbins you use? No, I don't. It's factored in. It's part of the cost of business. And for me, the thread is all contained in the studio. So it's all part of my rental for, for that. We use Omni Superior Thread and we keep two spools of every color and we always have the, we've got a bazillion bobbins and there's always whatever partial bobbin is kept inside the core of one of the two spools. So we have one for winding bobbins and one for loading on the machine and we keep them even and it keeps things very con consistent. It's a large investment to start with to buy that much uh, pro product. I haven't started buying my batting <laughs> directly from the manufacturer. I use Warm and Natural and I keep 90 inch and 120 inch on the bolt. But I can't really order enough bolts at once. I don't go through that much yet. That day will come. But right now I just wait for a really killer sale and coupon at Joann's and <laughs> get free delivery. <laughs> I'd like to step back just real quick about starting and starting from as a younger quilter, I get asked that a lot, especially when I started teaching, how long have you been quilting? And when I started teaching, I had been quilting for 19 years. And without that answer, I don't think I would have been taken seriously. So I'm thinking for those that are listening that want to start long arming that haven't done it very long like you, would you say that maybe incorporating the number of quilts you have quilted could be a way to show expertise or experience? Yeah, it helped me a lot to actually be working in the quilt shop because I had samples up on the walls. So as we're going through the book and we're talking about their design and I have key questions that I ask them. And a lot of times the conversation gives them more confidence than the time. So when I would ask them, tell me, what kind of quilting appeals best to you? Do you want the quilting to blend in or do you want it to sing? And I can show you examples of things that I've done that are up here on the wall. Here's one that's very bold. Here's one that's very much a blender. And this is a classic design you've used. So we probably want to look at some classic patterns or this is very contemporary. Let's look at some of my newer, more contemporary designs. and. And yeah, I think the number of things that you've done, being able to open your phone and show them pictures. Oh, look, I just recently did this one with this design and it turned out really well. And just skirting the issue of, I've been a long armor for a year and a half, but, <laughs> or, but I apprenticed for a year before that. So uh, how long have I been doing it? I don't know. I've been on a sewing machine since I was eight. <laughs> I love the idea of having a book and bringing example pictures, even having some printed out so that they can touch and feel and see and not, because especially because many quilters will have trouble seeing. And that's one reason why they want long armors. At least that was my experience. I, I worked in a quilt shop as well as 
someone who came in to rent the machine to longer. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the issues that some of my clients had was they couldn't see very well. So having the book available for them to flip through. And I had forgotten I had a lookbook until you said that. I was like, oh, that's a great piece of advice to give our listeners to have a book of samples. And like you're saying, the different types of whether you want. Oh, you said it so well. How did you say it? The quilting stand sing or blend in. I like that. Do you want your quilting to sing or do you want it to blend? And that's a pretty good that's a pretty easy question for people to answer because they don't, so far, I don't have people struggling with that. I've had a number of people say where I went before, I didn't even have to say anything. I could just give them the quilt and they would do something and it was always great. And for the first time you're quilting for someone, that's harder than the third or fourth time because you really don't know them. Asking them some leading questions. I'm looking at your quilt and it appears that color is not something you're afraid of. Do you want to look at a bolder thread or do you want something that's maybe going to blend with the back and it'll show up in these or leading questions like that helps a lot break the ice with the new customers. And it, yeah, yeah, that's great. It's great topic. <laughs> yeah. I have another fairly specific technical question. When you get those really high contrast quilts, like the one that Tori's got behind her on the wall, yeah. Yeah. if you were doing edge to edge on something like that, yeah. what color thread are you going to suggest to someone? Gray. Okay. We, we, because in a, a medium gray is going to pull lighter in the white and darker in the gray, in the black. And unless you really wanted a secondary motif and for something that had such a small amount of negative space with the white, it's not like any one of those two colors is dominant. A secondary motif wouldn't work that way versus one that had a whole lot of, you might want a, and I call it a secondary motif when you're using a brighter color as the quilting pattern that creates almost like a printed background fabric yeah i've been using that i've been skirting the the custom trend this this is popular right now with the tighter quilt out and the very particular i want it to look like this in this block and i want a different border and that and i don't have again i don't have the luxury of that time to be able to do all that programming and let the project sit on the frame because I'm sharing this machinery with two other people by offering to stitch a little bit denser and coming up with some of the more fun contemporary patterns and using bolder colors, you're getting skirting the wave or riding the wave between edge to edge i hesitate to say basic because some of the patterns are phenomenal they're just gorgeous but the line between custom work and edge to edge i need to cut for a minute because my daughter's music is i'm starting to hear it and i don't want to... <laughs> okay my husband just walked in from work too and he's tiptoeing around <laughs> oh, good timing. do you get a lot of i know this won't be in it but do you get a lot of straight line requests or has it shaken up now because i feel like there's so much straight line stuff yeah no i have some and i guess we can pick that up when we start back up yes now <laughs> in my binder i have 
tabs for all of my quilt designs. And so I have them separated out by florals, by meanders, by swirls and contemporary and geometric and juvenile and motifs. And we can have that starting conversation with the customer. What you, do you find yourself attracted to when you're looking at a quilt? And we can bypass a lot by just going to those categories. And I also have a, a thread chart back there that has the samples of the thread so they can see what the offerings are rather than just guessing. Now, what do you do when a customer says they don't know what they want? I ask them leading questions like, what do you find yourself attracted to? And sometimes asking them, what do you not is a faster way to get to what what's going to resonate with them. If I showed you Annie's roses and you went, okay, so we're going to stay away from florals. Or if I have to look at one more box in a box, I'm going to scream. Okay, we'll stay away from geometrics. I, finding out what they don't like is often a better way to figure out what they like and what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you not want for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Great tips. Anything else, Tori? Are we ready for... Too. Oh yeah, I had. A, so I would like to ask you about your. Do you have a team? Do you have anybody to help with your business? No, I am. I am flying solo, and it will stay that way until my husband fully retires, and then I'll bring him on as my assistant, and he will do all of the loading and the measuring and the recording of numbers so that I can just quilt, and then when I will have multiple leaders, and I will. He will pin and load and do all that kind of stuff. And then we'll zip a new one on and I'll do the quilting. And yeah, that's my dream world. <laughs> but no, I, 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 don't, I don't see myself as ever getting to that point where I've got a team. I really am not interested in ruling the world. I'm not interested in capturing the flag in, in long arm quilting. I think there's plenty of business for all of us. <laughs> With a growing industry. And especially with the demographics, as most quilters in that retired age, yes. it does mean there is yeah. plenty for. I am right on the edge of Sun City, Arizona, which is second largest retirement community in the U.S., the other one being Florida. And I think just with the snowbird population that we have here on top of that, it's a huge quilting economy here that I hadn't even thought of when I first moved here. So it's been a, a surprise, a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, the, the twists and turns of life had our paths crossed. That's great. Right. Starting off the rapid fire questions, we always like to ask what are quilters favorite colors what are you drawn to i love pantone's new color of the year it's a peach color and ah if we can do a timeout i can show you i just did a three yard quilt in one day with this gorgeous color if you want to see it yeah oh, we don't have to come out <laughs> <laughs> i have to get up and walk across the room <laughs> yeah we can edit that snippet okay hold yeah. on a second i'll go grab it <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see quilts. I have a 
I don't know, a love affair with Robert Kaufman fabrics. So this is a new line that he just brought out. And that that peachy with a little bit of gold and mm -hmm. uh, really pretty. I don't know if I gravitate towards a specific. I'm not a huge fan of the more the reds and the greens and the blues and the all the bright primary colors, the neons. I'm not a huge I'm more of a classics colors, softers. You, you kind of a nun. I'm not a huge fan of pastel either. This was like on the verge of being too pink for me. I love teals and I love the right shades of purple and grays. And I love the Regency blues. Oh, do I love the Jane Austen blues? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I do what people tell me to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fun but answer. I love, yeah, I do love Pantone's new color this year. Mm -hmm. This peach, apricot, peachy color is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a good one. Our next uh, rapid fire question is, do you like yardage or pre-cuts? I tend, I love layer cakes. <laughs> I don't like to buy quarter yard cuts of 10 different bolts. I just rather buy a layer cake and do something fun with it. And I'm working on right now from a line that came out a few years ago called Treasures of Alexandria. I'm working on a Hunter star for my mother-in-law whose maiden name is Hunter. And the stars are coming together so gorgeous. And it's just, you know, it's a layer cake. And I've got all the variety right there. One little, <laughs> And I didn't have to cut it. <laughs> Get right to sewing. That's the best thing. Right. right. And they do cut down on time. Yeah. I mean, so can you share with... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, as far as yardage goes, I absolutely love Shadow Play, Maywood Studios. Dang, it is such a great blender. Oh, so gorgeous. Yeah. If I had to pick yardage, I would go with shadow play. Speaking of fabric and designs and colors and all that fun stuff, tell us about a quilt block or pattern that you have made multiple times. So I sent you some pictures. I got a free download off of uh, McCall's quilting years ago called Garden Path. And it's a simple six inch square that uses a narrow sashing strip around it. It creates almost like a chain. And when you mm -hmm. sew the blocks together, you've got this sashing chain that goes through it. And it kind of, with a name like Garden Path, it felt like it was connecting pieces. And I've used that more than any other block in the custom quilting that I've done for people when they come and ask for a memory quilt. So I was getting that a lot in the beginning before I started long arming with a family member had passed and they wanted some sort of a memorial. And technology is great. Being able to take a photo and print it onto printable fabric and sew that into a quilt block. And I did that a lot with clothing is sketchy. <laughs> it's, sometimes it's in better condition and sometimes it's totally not even appropriate to put in into a, a textile like that but that garden path is definitely uh, one that I've used more often than anything else it, it and we'll definitely that. have those pictures on the show notes page so people can see that garden path pattern it's, it's looks very, like a fun one to sew 
It is. It's easy to put together and it's very friendly for the clothing side of things where the different types of fabric can be problematic. So, yeah. Plaids. Ugh. Men's dress shirt <laughs> plaids are so beautiful before you start cutting them apart. And then once you do, the plaids go, <laughs> and trying to straighten those out into a quilt block. And my OCD is just strong enough that when those stripes are not right, I twitch. I don't like it. Yeah. One, one of our next rapid questions are what? Sorry, let me try that again. <laughs> our next rapid fire question is what is your favorite notion? Oh, you know what? I brought over my favorite notions. So the smartest notion that I ever bought wasn't really a notion. It was a so steady table. And so for listeners, if they don't know what that is, it's a company that you tell them what machine you have and what model number, and they cut a specific plexiglass table for your machine that gives you a 24 inch working space now machine level versus the little table that comes with your machine. And because it's clear plexiglass, it gives me a surface underneath in front of my sewing machine where I store all of my tools and everything that I have to have. So I have my Kai double S curve scissors. These are a must and they're right there underneath my so steady table. I have my duckbill tweezers. <laughs> I have the purple thing, which is in my hand always like a pencil with a ski tip up because it's helping to guide my fabric under the needle my seam ripper and my machine gears. I, I don't love the feeling of the fabric sliding under my fingers all the time. And so having that little bit of silicone tip finger on my left hand, my right hand is working this way, but this is just guiding it. And it's nice to have that tension there that I don't have to work at or struggle with. So those are my favorite notions and they are always right there underneath my so steady table in reach. Yeah. Would you oh. mind saying your glove name one more time? Nice and clear. Machingers. It's M-A-C-H-I-N-G-E-R-S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Those are a handy tool. Those are all great notions. Yeah. Perfect setup for sewing and with all those. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. That table was one of the smartest investments I've made and the room that it gives me to keep all of my tools to that reach and be able to look down and see them has, has been brilliant. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you have any other hobbies besides quilting in um, any of those spare moments? <laughs> I know, right? I do still like to cross stitch, but pretty much only on Sundays. I used to consider myself a Lego master and then they came out with Lego masters and I found out I'm not a Lego master at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like to play with Legos and I do have a number of medieval village sets and someday when I have my dining room back, right now my dining room is my studio. When I have that back, I will put together all of my village pieces and create a lovely village <laughs> nice oh, so cool yeah i'm the dork when it comes to legos <laughs> and uh what is the most rewarding part of your business oh you know 
That's a really good question. To say satisfaction of a job well done, I'm sure you both can relate to that. You can look at your finished product and say, oh my gosh, that is so pretty. Some of it is still in the mind of the beholder though. Is your customer going to love it as much as you do? Or are they gonna have a more critical eye or whatever? But when, especially not every quilter is as careful with their construction. And these are problems that we have to work with as long armors. And so I'm spending a lot of time and energy squaring and straightening and fixing I find pop seams in almost every single quilt I load on the frame. And I have strategies for how to fix that include liquid stitch and they include whip opening up and doing whip stitching and fixing batting issues and that. And I'm doing all of that. I don't think the customers understand how much thread I clean up from the top of their uh, product as I'm going. And this is just all part of the finished result. And so when a customer comes back or when a customer refers a new customer who said, I saw what you did and it was really nice and I have this and I, or when they tip you, those are all votes of confidence. And there's a lot of, it's not ego stroking, it's confidence building or it's not self-esteem that's a catchphrase but it feels good to mm -hmm. do a good job and to be rewarded through repeat business or referrals or tips whatever gratuities yeah, i like that confidence my favorite part is just the satisfaction of i did do a good job with that i did straighten that corner out and yeah there's a little more fullness in it but yeah, when you look at it, it looks so nice compared to what it did. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And I know you touched on it earlier, but we do want to hear again, officially, who's inspiring you right now? Oh, yeah. Ramona Baird is her name, and she is instructing at Sun Valley Quilts in Sun City, and she's teaching a class called Software Get Savvy. And I love the approach to this class because I do have the kind of machine that deals with that specific software. Her approach is a little different than a mastery class in that she's teaching you a principle in the morning and in the afternoon, you're applying that principle to a project. So you're getting the instruction and then you're getting the hand-on application and the, yeah, it just, I, it's been really nice to take that her level of mastery and be able to just glean little bits and pieces out of it and to become a stronger software user across the board, whether it's for my personal sewing machine or in the Gamel Statler software, I'm learning how to more confidently manipulate the software to do what I want it to do. So, Great. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look her up and sit in on some of that yeah yeah any See, last yeah, tips I don't know. Hey, hold on andy let's I, ask can we ask that again because that was going to be overlapped a lot okay did you want to finish any thoughts on ramona brandy oh i was just going to say when she teaches she does the whole thing at home and downloads it to a zip drive and part of the cost of the class includes that little thumb drive 
you can then take the lecture home and watch it whatever stages you want and stop and okay I'm doing this but wait and go back and rewind so very nice add on any last minute tips that you want to throw in? Anything we haven't covered yet? This has been a wonderful discussion of long arm business strategies. I, I don't know about last minute. I would say always have your business cards with you. It's okay to do side hustles. Like I've started using my embroidery module to make little back pocket purses because so many public venues anymore don't let you bring your purse in. And so I make a little zipper pouch that holds my credit card and some cash and a tube of lip balm and some breath mints. And I stick that in my pocket, my ID <laughs> and my phone in my other pocket. And then I can just walk right through security and I don't have to struggle with that anymore. And I've got a friend who does craft shows who's buying them from me and selling them at her craft shows. That's a little side hustle. But I would just say, Word of mouth marketing is your best marketing for doing something like long arming. And so giving your customers an incentive to talk about you other than they're just happy with the work you do, good tool, but don't feel like you have to discount your services to do that. Great. Thank you again. This has been wonderful. I'm so glad you took some time to talk to us and I'm sure everyone will find so much value in this conversation. Thank you. Happy New Year. Wow. Brandy had such applicable tips for us, you know, for marketing in general, for, for running a business. She was such a wealth of information. It really was. What did you think of as a big takeaway from her conversation? Yeah, my biggest takeaway, I really, I think I have like two and they're kind of related. <laughs> so when she was talking about being located in Sun City, Arizona, where there was a large um, retirement population in the back of my head, I was thinking location, location, location. Um, so really taking into account of where you are located and utilizing your local area can be really powerful. And that kind of goes into my biggest takeaway, which is the marketing. Most of the quilters we've had on here have not all of them, but many of them have been digital and working on digital marketing where she was completely in person and by referral. And I loved seeing how you can have a strong uh, marketing with just a referral based business, especially like she said, for something service-based like long arming. Um, it was just a really nice mix up and I loved her approach and how, um, and how she, she worked her system, not system, worked her referral system. What was your biggest takeaway, Andy? I think I am going back to her definition of business models, how she talked about, um, you know, following on with her mentor so that she's not in competition, but really putting her price understanding that she's at the low end of kind of the range of prices in our area and being okay with that because it does get that volume. So just, you know, understanding that you can be a higher priced uh, business, you can do a volume business, 
or you can really, uh, you know, there's there's just those different categories that you have to decide what is going to be your selling point. And her selling point is that she does the edge to edge motifs at a affordable price. So that is a great um, understanding that she has about her business that she's really tuned into a model. It wasn't just, you know, throwing jello at the wall. And I love that uh, when we spoke, let me see, it was episode in season one, episode 14, we talked about setting your prices for workshops and services. We did discuss something similar where you can go lower on the price end or you can go higher. And it just depends on where you want to fall in that price range. And I loved her example of she's on the low end. She does edge to edge. She knows what she's good at and she excels at it. Yeah, it's really having that understanding of the the market and your position and just being confident in your position. So if you are charging a little bit higher, again, you may have the, whether it's experience, you may be an award-winning quilter that gives you the, the bump, I guess, in prices. Um, you know, you may use higher quality materials and you're using, you know, the, the more expensive materials and are going to charge more for it. So yeah, there's a lot of factors. And I just, I was really impressed that she had spelled everything out. You know, I love that spreadsheet she kept referring to. I'm not (laughs) always that detailed, but it's um, clear to be that detailed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It does give you really good information if you uh, track your numbers like that. Um, And the last thing I'll say as a takeaway was her tips for having conversation with her customers and being able to ask leading questions. And the fact that if you know what someone doesn't like, it helps you narrow down and get closer to what they really want. So that was a great tip. Especially like her analogy with dinner. We ask the same questions. What do you want for dinner? What do you want for dinner? Oh, what do you don't want for dinner? Yeah. (laughs) What are you sick of eating? (laughs) I'm sure that was my five-year-old to see if it works. Yeah, new strategies in parenting and quilting. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this has been a great conversation and lots of good information to come here in season two of Quilting on the Side. What a great discussion. If you enjoyed this episode of Quilting on the Side, please leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening. It can be iTunes, Spotify, or even our YouTube channel. And hit the subscribe button so you don't miss our next chat. Until then, remember to have fun in your business and do a little quilting on the side.